How can you make lean work? It's a great question. Here's the big challenge. Lean is a horizontal idea. It looks at the flow of value all the way across the organization from the beginning to the customer and says, how can we do the right thing for the customer that will also be the right thing for the employees, the business, the suppliers? And that's not the way most organizations think. They think vertically. And they try, try, try to think horizontally, but they don't have a method. Lean is the method. It's a better way. Welcome to There's a Better Way, a podcast series focused on exploring how operational excellence principles can provide solutions in your personal and professional life. Each episode, Dr. Arvind Chandrasekharan, professor and academic director at The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business, will sit down with a prominent expert or faculty leader to discuss problems we face in our world today. This program is brought to you by the Master of Business Operational Excellence. Welcome to There is a Better Way. I'm here with uh, Jim Womack, founder and senior advisor of the Lean Enterprise Institute. Welcome to the program, Jim. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Jim, can you tell us more about what do you do? It's been a long time now that um, I first started uh, thinking about some ideas that uh, were subsequently uh, named Lean in 1979. I was at MIT. I had just finished a big project on the future of urban transportation as a staffer. I'd gone there to work on the research staff, and I needed work, and they were shorthanded in thinking about a project they wanted to take on to look at what was happening in global manufacturing, uh, taking the example of the car industry, which in the U.S. and Europe was, in a sense, the most endangered industry at that point. The consumer electronics had largely disappeared to Asia. That was gone. Uh, Cars looked like they were going to go next. Uh, The U.S. had really invented the modern car industry. Uh, Europe, you could say, invented the car industry, but the U.S. invented the modern car industry. And so this was concerning. And MIT had a lot of friends in the car industry and no friends uh, in the States and no friends in the car industry in Japan. And so I went off to take a look. So that was 40 years ago. And we didn't have a name for this. Uh, That What we decided uh, pretty quickly was that this was not about factories. It was about, uh, if you will, a big socio-technical system mm-hmm. of value creation in which every organization has to figure out what the customer wants. I don't just mean in terms of sales, but in terms of marketing and strategy. What is the emerging need? Uh, how are we going to address that with a design which has to be engineered and a process which has to be created at the same time to deliver on the design and then an actual production system mm-hmm. And then you need some suppliers, and you need to support the customer. Most customers are in trouble most of the time. They need support. And then you need to unify that with a management system. So we said, aha, let's take the enterprise as the focus, which is all of the people who are touching uh, what we came to call the value stream uh, for, in this case, an automobile. And then let's do a comparison. Let's look at how Japanese companies do this. Let's look at how American companies do this. Let's look at how European companies do Mm -hmm. this. Now, this was 40 years ago. There was, uh, as a practical matter, no Chinese car industry. Mm -hmm. I actually did go to see it and said, whoa, they're so far out of it that there's nothing to study. Uh, We're not going to mess with Russia either. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, therefore, it's just going to be the U.S., Europe, and Japan. Mm. And let's uh, put together a global, what we would now call benchmark, of performance. Mm. And we'll look at uh, production, we'll look at product and process development, we'll look at purchasing, we'll look at customer support, Uh, we'll look at general management, 
But we're not just doing a descriptive sort of here's what the performance is. We want to dig down to the cost. Hmm. So it was pretty easy to show. Uh, everybody knew already that there were big differences in the performance at the production system level between, uh, for example, Toyota and General Motors and Volkswagen. What was less clear was why. Hmm. Okay, so that was the hard part. Now, there were two schools of thought at that time that the Japanese were winning because they light, sheet, and steel. Hmm. That was school number one. And school number two was they've discovered a new way to develop processes and products. They've discovered a new way to manufacture things. They've discovered a new way to manage suppliers. They've discovered a new way to support customers, Japan only. And they've got a new management system. Mm -hmm. So I was uh, clearly in that latter camp. Mm -hmm. I had just done a PhD uh, dissertation in political science, public policy at MIT, uh, looking at the do they light sheet and steel question, mm -hmm. uh, which was really quite interesting. And I was quite convinced that uh, while that could have been some of the cause, it actually wasn't any of the cause. Mm -hmm. So, so that's what we set off to do. And initially it was just cars because Toyota had been the model of the new lean system, and GM, of course, was the model of the old mass production system. Mm -hmm. And so it worked nicely, and of course it was uh, ironic, but uh, even useful that uh, MIT had graduated Alfred Sloan, mm -hmm. who was the architect of the General Motors system, mm -hmm. and then the Sloan School of Management yeah. uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So it was a lovely contrast between two different, uh, let's call it big enterprise systems, socio-economic, socio-technical systems. And we were able to put all of that together in 1990 for the machine book. Now, to get the book done, we had to name it. And initially, it was viewed by most people as sort of Japan versus the U.S. versus Europe. And as we started going to these companies, and we went to all of them, and we went repeatedly to all of them, um, we concluded there actually was no such thing as Japan, that this uh, existed in the Western mind. But if you looked at Toyota and compared it, for example, with Nissan, there's just no comparison that Nissan was much more what we would now call a modern management mm -hmm. company, and Toyota was the uh, clear um, leader in a, a lean way of thinking. Sure. So we couldn't use company names for the data in that book. There's a lot of data, a lot of data points, mm -hmm. uh, but the text can tell you that Toyota is the best and General Motors and Volkswagen and Mercedes and these other guys who got a lot of catching up to do. So that came out uh, in October of 1990. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it might very well fail, that uh, if the world economy had been strong at that point, um, you know, perhaps fewer people would have paid attention. There was a recession in 1991 mm -hmm. uh, connected with the first Iraq war. And suddenly, these fixed-cost industries, cars, uh, there's not a lot you can do in the mm -hmm. short term when sales dramatically fall. So suddenly, the Europeans and the Americans are in big trouble, and Toyota's doing pretty well. So that gets people's attention. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, how we got there. I always uh, say this, um, that if I'm the uh, father of anything, it's simply the term lean. Mm -hmm. And I'm not the father of that, because John Kravchik, who was my uh, MIT assistant on the project doing the Global Assembly Survey, and who's now the president of the CEO of the Waymo uh, autonomous uh, car company at Google, mm -hmm. uh, came up with the name Lean, when in an afternoon we uh, had a, an article to publish in the Sloan Management Review, mm -hmm. 
and we had no title for it. It said The Triumph of the Blank Production System, <laughs> and it was deadline time. We've got to come up with a name. So we got a whiteboard, and I held the marker. I will say I did something. I held the marker, and I said, what are we going to call it? And so we can't call it the Japanese production system because our data show that uh, there's more variation between the best and the worst Japanese than there is between the Japanese average and the American average. Sure. So we can't do that. Uh, let's not call it Toyotaism uh, because that will make it just sound like it's only one company. Uh, let's not call it Toyodaism, which is D for the family, the mm -hmm. Toyoda family. And so we're kind of stuck. The team's all there. Uh, John Paul McDuffie was there. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of other people who've uh, been prominent in thinking about this. And I said, why don't we call it for what it does? That was my entire contribution. Mm -hmm. And so we wrote on the whiteboard. We said, less human effort to mm -hmm. design the product, to make the product, fewer defects, less inventory, less lead time, less capex, less, less, less. Sure. And it was at that point that John Krafchick said, let's call it lean. Now, uh, John Paul McDuffie, who was uh, doing a PhD at Sloan, is now at Wharton, um, uh, who was in the human resource group, mm -hmm. uh, said, no, no, let's call it fragile. Hmm. And uh, there was quite a debate, uh, fragile. And there was a fellow in, uh, from Japan, Hiroshimata, who was an HR guy. And uh, he was very adamant that this is a system that has to have engagement of all employees or you can't sustain it. And I said, well, that's perfectly true, but I can't sell that term hmm. just as a marketing term. Sure. Uh, I want the world to take this stuff seriously. If you call it fragile enterprise <laughs> or fragile production, exactly how many people are going to sign up? Sure. And uh, I was the boss, and so I got the final vote, and so it was lean. Great. So that is my uh, contribution, and that's 40 years ago. That's great. You resolved the, yeah. <laughs> the difference. So let me ask you this, Jim. I mean, like you've done this phenomenal work studying these these organizations mm -hmm. up close, mm -hmm. and it's 40 years of reflection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now you've, you've also got to see other companies applying this mm -hmm. lean mindset, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we still are in this day and age where mm -hmm. things are not still working. Because mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. we all hear about, again, people applying these, mm -hmm. and they, they're, they're getting into this whole project mindset, and the whole mm -hmm. systemic change mm -hmm. is not happening. Mm -hmm. Why is it not working? I think there's a mismatch between the uh, sort of modern management view of the world and the lean management view of the world. And uh, much of what's happened in the last 40 years is trying to apply lean tools in a modern management organization. Mm. Okay. And it turns out that's hard to do. Mm. It turns out, in fact, in many cases, it's impossible to do. Uh, let's just look at a couple of uh, reasons. That uh, the modern management company, as pioneered by Alfred Sloan, mm -hmm. as then uh, totally perfected by General Electric, mm. um, is a very vertical business. And, uh, by the way, all businesses of any size in the history of the world have been and will be vertical businesses in the sense that they have functions, departments, silos, if you will. And that's not in question. And uh, the Toyota folks never questioned that. Mm. They always said the, an organization will be a collection of silos. The question is how you're going to think horizontally mm. on behalf of the customer across a collection of silos, mm. each of which has a contribution to make to the product. Mm. So you've got suppliers, you've got the designers, mm -hmm. you've got the marketers, you've got the salespeople, you've got the production people, and then you've got all the staffs. Sure. But modern management didn't really have a way to deal with that. Mm. 
And one of the most bizarre things that I still see all the time is that here's the org chart and their clear uh, authority grants mm -hmm. within that box. And then you say, well, wait a minute, how does box A interact with box C and box F mm -hmm. when the product is an ACF flow? Sure. And the answer is there's no good answer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what could we do about that? And I'm sure uh, many folks uh, have worked in an organization where you had a KPI focus, mm -hmm. you made your numbers, and you discover that the easiest way to make your numbers is to screw up everybody else's numbers. Mm. Okay? And that's just kind of like gravity. Well, you sure. know, that's how it is. You know, I got to eat, got to send the kids to college, um, I got to do what I got to do, mm -hmm. and off you go. Well, Toyota actually developed an answer to that in the 1960s. They understood the problem. Uh, by the way, they consciously created the system in the mid-60s. And uh, the A3, mm -hmm. that wonderful European piece of paper, paper. Yeah. Uh, was their answer to the horizontal problem. Mm. Okay? And they took as a given that there is a problem. And we need a mechanism that every manager can use to deal with it. Mm. Now, the most striking example is the chief engineer. Mm. At Toyota, there is an individual, sure. a person, who is given responsibility mm -hmm. to develop a product. Mm. But uh, when I went to, to visit my first uh, chief engineer, which was, uh, gosh, now 35 years ago, mm. it's the chief engineer of the Corolla, and I went to Toyota City to see him in the office of chief engineers, mm. and the office is full of metal desk and here sitting at this desk is the chief engineer for the Corolla. Mm. And this is a $40 billion program for the whole world, mm. largest selling car in the world. Mm. And here's this guy. And we talked for a little bit, and I said, by the way, how many uh, reports do you have? And he looked at the tea lady. said, well, you know, she's supposed to pay attention, but usually she doesn't. <laughs> and I said, okay, but well, you know, come on, you're the chief engineer. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. I don't do any engineering, I don't do any marketing, I don't do any sales, I don't do any purchasing, I don't do anything. What I do is look at our organization from the perspective of the customer, hmm. and I surface the contradictions between what the different departments want and what the customer wants. Hmm. Okay? That's what I do. And I have no authority over any of these people. Nobody reports to me. Hmm. I said, well, who do you report to? Well, I report to the president. Hmm. So what happens when there's a conflict? I said, well, when there's a, a conflict that cannot be resolved, I have failed because that's my job. Mm. And the way I resolve conflicts is that I know more about the issue than anybody else mm. because I'm the one person who's looking at the whole. I'm looking end to end. And I can then go and say, you know, I don't have any authority here, but I've been given the responsibility. Mm. And we can't get where we need to get doing what you guys, and that means all of the functions, sure. want to do. Mm. So here's my proposal. Mm. What's your counterproposal? And then we have uh, what they call nimawashi. Mm. It's a little bit different kind of nimawashi. To see if we can't get to an answer. Mm. In, in an extreme case, I could go to the president, who's for most of Toyota's life been a Toyota with mm -hmm. a D. We could go to the Toyo dub, but we don't really want to do that. Okay. Because it says as a group we failed. Mm. We have a group failure problem. Mm. So we've got to figure this out. So that's why, however, the lean movement mm. has mostly focused on small things 
that can be done within a department, hmm. can be done within an area that don't require any of this horizontal thinking. Sure. And that's a shame because it turns out the important things all flow across. Hmm. So we've gotten to be really good at doing little, not so important things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the smallest and the least important is 5S. Sure. Anybody can do 5S, just 5S your office. Mm -hmm. Does it really make any difference? By the way, just an aside on 5S, that the whole point of 5S from Toyota's standpoint is to be able to do repeatable standardized work right every time within cycle time with no defects. Mm. And the reason you need 5S is you can't be treasure hunting because there's no time. Sure. Everything has to be mm. even intuitively where it feels like it should be. Mm. So you can just get it. And yet we see people doing 5S on, you know, blue tape around their stapler. Mm. You know, what, what does this have to do with anything? Exactly. It becomes just a ritual. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the question is why has lean been so hard to do? Mm -hmm. Well, it's inherently a horizontal way of thinking that is applied to vertical organizations. Okay. And an awful lot of people in the OPEX world, you just feel like they've never thought about this. Mm that they're just not aware, they have no method. Sure. Uh, for them, A3 is just another box you fill, you know, another chart you fill mm -hmm. out. Okay, check the box. Mm. And you can do that. Uh, in the early days of A3, I would go to companies that were trying it for the first time. And uh, what would happen invariably was the A3 would be given to a person mm. who said, oh, I'm smart, I'm a quick study, I can see the solution, it's right here. Mm. And, of course, the uh, consultant or the advisor said, well, no, wait a minute. You haven't talked to anybody. Mm. You've just talked to whoever you met at the water cooler mm. and decided this is the issue and here's the solution. Mm. And so the notion that uh, routinely in an organization, not just the chief engineer, but, um, for example, in the LEI book uh, that we've done called Managing to Learn, uh, there's the example of simply getting technical documents translated mm. to open a plant in a new country, new language, new culture. Mm. Okay? Now, that sounds like something that could just be done by purchasing mm. or something. But it turns out that uh, you have the engineers who are creating the drawings, in this case back in Japan, sure. in engineering. Mm. And you have the operations people in America who need the drawings. Mm. And you have purchasing that's hiring the translators, mm. and then you have the translators. So there are four different parties involved in this thing. And uh, in that example, that was actually John Shook's first job when he became a manager at Toyota. Mm. Was, and his boss said, um, John, uh, you must lead as if you have no authority. Mm. This uh, is an issue. We don't know what's a problem. I want you to tell me whether it's a problem. Sure. And then if it is a problem, I want you to tell me the magnitude. Mm. And if you can tell me that, well, I'd like you to give me four or five countermeasures, mm. not one, not the one that you're comfortable with. Mm. Let's see if then you can convince everybody touching this that there is a better way, mm. to coin a phrase. There is a better way. That's great, yeah. Okay, you like that phrase. Um, so that is the heart of the system. Mm. And that's why A3 is so important. Okay. But A A3 is a social mechanism. Mm. And you get a group of people together and they look at an A3 on a wall mm -hmm. and point to it uh, saying, oh, look, there's another problem, mm. rather than pointing at each other sure. and saying, oh, you're a problem and mm. you're the problem and you're the problem. So to me, it's a, I have a, a lovely picture that was done just before the collapse of GM. I had been asked to go out and take a look at their effort to do A3. 
And it's a photograph of all the vice presidents of the General Motors Company mm. standing at a wall looking at a value stream map, mm. which then was part of an A3. And they've all got their backs to the camera, and they're all pointing at the wall. And I said to myself, for the previous hundred years, mm. they were all facing each other and pointing at each other, yeah. <laughs> mostly around in a circle. Yeah. Uh, this is progress. But, by the way, it was too late. <laughs> it was, the game was already over at that yeah, point, right. but uh, that was interesting. So let me end this podcast with this, this hard question. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, these are wonderful. Mm-hmm. So applying lean in mm-hmm. the American organization, mm-hmm. is con- mm-hmm. you, you cannot because mm-hmm. it's more mm-hmm. horizontal versus vertical, right? Mm-hmm. What can we do? I mean, like if there is a, a listener out there saying, okay, I want to challenge their mm-hmm. hypotheses, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to start from where I work. I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not a CEO of my company. Mm-hmm. I'm a middle manager. Mm-hmm. I want to still use this thought process of, mm-hmm. again, connecting mm-hmm. the dots mm-hmm. because value streams at the end of the day is serving the customer. Right. What should I do? Well, you yourself need to learn a bit about A3. Mm. And you need a coach probably. And by the way, that coach can be a book. Mm. Coach can be a video. It can be an audio. It can be a whatever. Uh, I'm not uh, promoting consultants here. In fact, I think consultants don't have much to do with this. Um, And then you can say, gosh, what's an issue that I'm trying to deal with Mm. where we're not getting anywhere, Mm. which, by the way, you may have no authority over. Mm. And you raise your hand and say, gee, could I do an A3 here? Mm. Can we just do an experiment? Experiment. Let's Mm. see what would happen if we approached an issue Mm. in a different frame of mind with a different way of thinking and see what happens. Now, the worst that can happen is you get fired. Mm. Okay, well, hey, you know, the unemployment's, I don't know, 3.5%, not to worry right now. So it's a great time to do it. Now is the best time, the last 50 years to do this. But try an experiment. You're not credible if you haven't actually done something yourself. You can't just say, gosh, I heard about this A3 thing. You all should do it. Mm. You have to say, I'm going to do this, and let's see what happens. Uh, Key thing, though, remember about A3 that it is a framework for a social conversation, but Mm. it's also a framework for an experiment. Problem with PDCA, Mm -hmm. which is a wonderful thing, but P is the plan Mm -hmm. for the countermeasure you've already decided on, right? What's the context? Why this countermeasure? Mm-hmm. Right? So just trying some personal experience mm-hmm. uh, experiments with PDCA. Now, I have to put in a small plug here mm-hmm. that uh, one of the villains in my world is the conventional modern management business school. Mm. That business schools don't teach this. Sure. Okay, it's very interesting. And in fact, business schools teach functional skills. Mm. They teach you how to do strategy. Mm. They teach you how to do finance. They teach you how to do HR. They teach you how to do operations, which mm-hmm. turns out mostly to be math, mm. optimization and bottleneck <laughs> analysis and queuing yeah. theory and all that. Nobody talks about how you actually solve problems. Mm. Okay? And by the way, uh, Toyota never uses the phrase solve problems. I should slap myself for saying that. I talk about countermeasuring problems. Sure. But anyway, in management school, most management schools, you never learn, I think, anything useful about management. Mm. You learn a whole lot about strategy or a whole lot about finance, sure. and that's fine. You might need that. But who's going to put the pieces together? Mm. Who's going to go across the organization, this horizontal flow, mm. so the customer really has a better way because you have a better way, sure. and the world's a better place? Yeah. How are you going to do that? And, hey, it's a good place to give start. it a go and start. I'm going to put some plug for my school, Jim. Here is like I know my school is counter to some of the – the business schools that you thought about, right? So we, again, th- mm-hmm. thanks to Jim and mm-hmm. some of my thought leaders here in this program, mm-hmm. is we've designed a program 
that actually opposes the conventional siloed mindset towards the whole idea of uh, how do we cut across and how do we understand business as a problem mm -hmm. and how do we bring that uh, mindset in, in those yeah. organizations. Yeah. So, well, for me, that uh, kind of completes the loop yeah. that uh, 1990, which is now 30 years ago, uh, the question came up, would I like to teach at the Sloan School? Mm. And so I sort of did a tryout. And I don't know what they thought of me, but I know what they thought of them, that I was teaching a siloed course mm. for students within a silo, and there was no desire to look horizontally. And I said, whoa, uh, I have no idea whether they would want me to teach here, but I don't want to do this. Mm. This is ridiculous. And now for the last few years, uh, just once a year, uh, at the end of the MBOE, Management Manager of Business and Operational Excellence, I come out to Columbus and give a talk. That's Great. much of what I was just talking about. Yeah. And honestly, this is the only place I know I could go to give that talk. That's pretty interesting. Now, on one level, it's tragic. Mm, How can there only be one place? <laughs> I want every place to have this. Sure. But on the other hand, there's at least one place. Whereas 10, 12 years ago, there was no place. Yeah. So, uh, hey, you know, you got to start somewhere. That's right. So you said, where do you start as an employee? Where do you start as a business school? Yeah. Uh, Ohio State's uh, Fisher School has actually started. Okay. Uh, the other folks uh, should listen up. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a pleasure actually having you on our podcast. And thanks again. Thank, Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of There's a Better Way. To listen to our other episodes and for more information on the Master of Business and Operational Excellence, please visit go.osu.edu backslash M-B-O-E.